Welcome to Life on Planet Earth with John Aiden Byrne. What we've been seeing in our pregnancy centers is a steady flow of women coming to New York to abort babies in the final weeks of their pregnancies. Totally healthy children who will feel excruciating pain in an abortion, whose lives are precious, whose lives would be totally fine if delivered. It's sick, it's infanticide. And that was the voice there of Chris Slattery, president and founder of EMC Frontline Pregnancy Centers in New York. I'm your host, John Aidan Byrne, and we'll get to the rest of my interview with Chris Slattery in a moment. I had the pleasure of sitting down with him for this at the charming Potbelly's Riverside Cafe on Main Street, Rockaway. Pay a visit. Great place to have a meal. Chris was about to attend and address an energetic and very well attended pro-life community evening at St. Cecilia's Parish in Rockaway, New Jersey, alongside the pro-life champion, Assemblyman Jay Weber of New Jersey. Chris told me a little about his organization. He launched the first mobile ultrasound clinic in a major U.S. city on the streets of the South Bronx and later in Jackson Heights, Queens. EMC launched Operation Frontline in February 2007 garnering national, local and international media attention. He appeared on CBN 700 Club and ABC Nightline for his initiative. EMC has offered over 150,000 pregnant women in crisis free pregnancy testing. Over 43,000 girls and women counselled and served by EMC have chosen life instead of abortion. EMC is now in its 34th year. Here's a great point of interest. Chris was the confirmation sponsor for the late Dr. Bernard Natison, once rapidly pro-choice, then became a pro-lifer, wrote about it in books and pamphlets and CDs, and he converted actually to Catholicism. Chris was also awarded the Champion for Life Award by John Cardinal O'Connor. Chris was also awarded a Pro-Life Leader Award by the National Pro-Life Religious Council. Here's something that struck me during the interview. I asked Chris what motivates him and others in the pro-life movement. He said they're motivated by the commandment to love the weakest and the poorest and to serve the defenseless and the innocent. Stay tuned for this episode of Life on Planet Earth and if you like us, Go to our Facebook page, Life on Planet Earth, at Hope on Earth. Stay tuned. A voyage of discovery in an uncommon age of unparalleled scientific, economic, political, and social upheaval, Life on Planet Earth searches for the unvarnished truth, answers, solutions, and above all, hope for our existential crisis. Welcome back to my interview with Chris Slattery. We conducted this interview at the wonderful Potbellies on Main Street, Rockaway. You'll hear the jingle and jangle in the background of staff moving around with knives and forks. I love those sounds. Great staff, great food. 
I first asked Chris what's going on lately in the abortion battles in the abortion capital of America, New York. And naturally, the talk turned to the Reproductive Health Act signed into law in January in New York. It expands abortion rights and it was introduced in a rush to stave off challenges in the event of the pro-abortion Roe v. Wade decision being overturned. We hope it is. The law eliminates several restrictions on abortion in the state and, in effect, sanctions infanticide. The law received a lot of national media attention. The biggest development is we saw this year, 2019, the advance of abortion advocacy to the, the most demented and sickest heights seen in the Western world, where the Democrats pushed through abortion legalization to literally birth and beyond, and applauded it, uh, celebrated it, lit up the World Trade Tower, the um, bridges of New York City, and pink lights on January 22nd, 2019, in one of the most sickest displays of political barbarism. Chris Slattery is fighting this abortion battle on many fronts and he can't expect any support from Andrew Cuomo, governor of the state of New York. Here's a soundbite of the governor cheering on the Reproductive Health Act, conveniently overlooking the rights of the unborn baby and the taxpayer dollars going towards this abomination. We're going to protect a woman's right to choose in the state of New York. What we've been seeing in our pregnancy centers is a steady flow of women coming to New York to abort babies in the final weeks of their pregnancies. Totally healthy children who will feel excruciating pain in an abortion whose lives are precious, whose lives would be totally fine if delivered. It's sick, it's infanticide. Um, and then the Congress, on a national level, refuses, because the Democrats control the House of Representatives, to pass uh, infant protection for children born alive in abortions. What are the numbers in New York City? We have recorded a, and seen, like across the country, declines in abortion numbers. Basically now, the last reported year I've seen for 2017, uh, these numbers were released in the summer of 19, uh, there were roughly over a thousand abortions a week. 56,000 approximately abortions annually in the city of New York. Now, the rate has also gone down. When I started fighting abortion 40 years ago, there were about 115,000 abortions annually in the city of New York. So we're down more than half from the peak years of the 80s and 90s. And we're down in uh, rate of abortion from 41% of all pregnancies that were not miscarried ending in abortion to about a third. So 
still there are astronomical numbers but there's been improvement and it's partly because pregnancies are down across the country we're seeing the fertility rate in the United States go to historic lows the reported fertility rate of New York City in 2017 was the lowest since the late 1800s when they started recording these statistics so the birth rate is at historic lows this could be due to less sex uh, more contraceptives uh, I'm not going to give great credit to abstinence education programs in New York City because they don't exist uh, so but, this is also a crisis well you know there's a crisis of, of uh, that if we continue on the path of our low birth rate in the United States our population will start to decline Let's talk about New York City again. Uh, there have been some successes and you've saved a lot of lives. That's wonderful. Why is New York City such a pro-abortion capital? Is it something in the culture, uh, the political environment? What is it? Well, New York has been an intellectual hub for the left uh, for, for 100 years. And Margaret Sanger founded uh, the American Birth Control League literally 103 years ago in a time where socialism was actually promoted as much as it is today. It was, uh, she was a socialist, she was involved with anarchist groups, she was involved with the eugenics movement. And so New York City has a long history of dabbling with uh, leftism, socialism, uh, and the abortion advocacy groups were started in New York thanks to Margaret Sanger, and later, uh, as the Democrat Party embraced abortion in the late 60s, and uh, has come to the point now where, on the national level, you can't run for president in the Democrat Party without being an abortion advocate. In fact, they all try to say they're more pro-abortion than each other. They, but Joe Biden was forced in this political campaign to drop his long-standing support for the Hyde Amendment, which prevented federal funding of abortion uh, in the states. And now he's for federal funding of abortion, losing the Hyde Amendment, which has been in place for over 40 years in the United States uh, law. So, I mean, ultimately, why is New York the abortion capital? Well, because uh, we're you know, one of the biggest population centers. We've funded abortion since 1970 for the poor. We have given away abortions uh, by the tens of millions uh, of, of taxpayer dollars. We have the most abortion facilities. We have most of our New York City public hospitals do abortions. Planned Parenthood is headquartered in New York City. NOW was founded and headquartered in New York City. NARAL, the National Abortion Rights Action League, was founded and headquartered in New York City. Dr. Bernard Nathanson and Lawrence Later, there will be a film coming out uh, in 19 or 2020 called Roe vs. Wade, which will document the history of uh, abortion legalization due largely to these two men. I became a good friend of one of them, Dr. Nathanson, by the way. That's another story. So, 
New York is the uh, epicenter of the intellectual left. Uh, it's the home of Ocasio-Cortez, uh, the Clintons, and uh, Bill de Blasio. <laughs> uh, and what can I say? It's, uh, it's a hot you're, you're putting on the heat here, uh, Chris. Uh, so New York City is a sort of secular, consumerist, liberal hub. It's one of the wealthiest regions in America. Yes, and that's why they have no problem funding abortions. They've actually added extra funds for women to uh, get abortions easier. It's already I, I, easy to get an abortion, even if you're just a visitor here, even if you're, just, uh, if you're not documented here. Let's look at how America is divided politically and culturally and spiritually. New York, hotbed for many abortions. Then you go to the Midwest and it's more pro-life. What explains that? Well, I think the faith in um, the evangelical community and in uh, also conservative Catholic circles in many states, people actually practice what they believe. They, they want to put politics as part of their faith and, and vote. Voting is, is critically important to um, evangelical, conservative Protestants and Orthodox Roman Catholics, and they they want to vote, and they will support a Donald Trump, uh, despite his his personal flaws, because of his policies. They'll support people of either party, but we've seen the Democrats run away from the pro-life issue, uh, especially in the East and West coasts. Um, which is sort of ironic because Democrats were always the party of the family, of the individual, workers' rights, individual rights, liberty and justice for all. Well, I think when, um, when we look back in the long history of the Democrat Party, they were in favor of slavery. They were actually one of the spurs of the, the American Civil War was that the Democrats in the South wanted to keep slavery. And the Republican Party really was born out of a fight to defeat the Democrats in the South. And then uh, we had the Civil War. But coming out of the Civil War, it was the, the Dixiecrats, the Southerners, who were Democrats, who wanted to continue to enslave blacks through the Jim Crow laws. And then uh, they came up with uh, an alignment with the Civil Rights Movement to give the blacks rights. but. Frankly, there was a hidden agenda to keep them in slavery to the welfare state. And today we see uh, that, yeah, while the, the talk of the Democrats has been to support the little guy, Americans are fed up with that. And they, they are, many, many more are seeing through that. And that's why Donald Trump got elected. They realized that Trump, who has fought for uh, the minorities, with lowest unemployment rates for minorities in American history today, uh, the lowest recorded unemployment rate just here in early October, we're looking today at the lowest unemployment rate in 50 years in the United States. Now, let me just add that when we talk about America being divided politically, spiritually, and so on, I mentioned the Midwest, of course, with the South, with Northwest, or other parts of the country. I want to go on to uh, your 
personal involvement with the pro-life movement. What are some of the heartbreaking cases that have left an indelible memory? Well, just this week we had a mother that uh, was from the Dominican Republic here living in a car in New York City and a late-term pregnant and was thinking about an abortion and she came to us and we're getting her uh, placement in a home uh, one of the good council maternity homes based in New Jersey is going to house her and feed her and take care of her. The desperation that leads someone to live in a car when you're pregnant and consider an abortion, it's sad, but it's great when God put us in touch with her. She came to us and we're able to give her the help that she's going to need to have a happy baby. You've been involved in the movement for many, many years. How did you actually get involved? One morning when I lived in the East Midtown in the 30s, I didn't know that my single room apartment was smack a stone's throw from the two largest abortion clinics in America. And one morning as I was walking to my advertising job in the early 80s, a girl called me over to the plaza of a 50-story office building at 7.30 in the morning as I was walking by. She informed me that they were killing children upstairs. Long story short, six months from that morning, I held a baby in my arms in an apartment house in Brooklyn to a, a, new, a newly born baby to a 15-year-old a mother who I had talked out of an abortion that very morning in front of that abortion clinic. She was being dragged in by her mother for an abortion at age 15. And then I said to myself, wow, you can actually save children in this movement. It's not just about talk, it's not just about politics, it's about people. If you engage the pregnant mother in the right kind ways, you can reach their hearts, minds, and souls and convert them to dependence on God instead of uh, the illicit so-called freedom of disposing of an unwanted baby. That is what the devil wants. He wants us to then despair, give up, lose hope, turn to drugs, alcohol, promiscuity, and uh, ultimately suicide. To, to capture the soul of mothers, he'll bring them to the very, very bowels of the earth. But very few mothers will choose suicide or complete despair after raising uh, or delivering a newborn baby. There are medical conditions that can arise with having newborn children that has to be dealt with. Uh, postpartum blues is a symptom not of necessarily just psychological despair at having a child, but it comes with the hormonal changes of a mother and she does need a support mechanism and support for raising a child. There's too much single motherhood in America. We don't condemn single mothers, but we must condemn the state raising our children instead of fathers being there to help mothers raise their own children. Too, much, too many babies are being born to uh, outside of marriage. Marriage is collapsing in America. It has been for 50 years. And it's time that men take full responsibility for their actions and their children and 
the mothers of their children. They must love them, help them raise their children, and that's that's a very difficult task to accomplish in this country, is to promote marriage. The state has created incentives to not marry, uh, to get the maximum public benefits out of our system. Uh, it is it is systematically um, worked to undermine marriage. I blame the Democrats in large part for this. The De Republicans, though, have collaborated in it too. You are Irish-American raised Catholic. You are practicing Catholic. How does your background and your faith inform what you do today? And then as a follow-up to that, what's your view on the Catholic Church's role in the pro-life movement. Could it do a better job? Is it doing an okay job? Where is it at? Well, most of the pro-life activists in America are Christian and Catholic. And we're motivated by the commandment to love the weakest and the poorest and to serve uh, the defenseless and the innocent. This is just basic Christianity. Uh, Christians from the earliest days in the Roman-dominated world uh, tried to save babies from infanticide uh, and were practicing what they preached, taking care of orphans, uh, taking care of abandoned newborns. This has been going on for thousands of years, uh, this custom of, of of reaching out to expectant mothers is not not something new in the uh, in the last 50 years. We, as a matter of fact, there were Christians 175, 185 years ago in Manhattan that were counseling on the sidewalks of New York City in front in front of Madame Roussel's abortion facilities on Fifth Avenue near St. Patrick's Cathedral. Uh, which would come later. Uh, there were people that were saving infants um, and uh, creating a, uh, orphanages and, and adoption agencies going back in uh, before the Civil War. So these Christians were informed by their conscience uh, through their, their Christian churches, Roman Catholics and Protestants. Protestants were largely in charge of the political world uh, before the uh, Irish Catholics got involved in New York, Boston, and Philadelphia. Uh, most of the laws outlawing abortion in this country were, were actually originally passed by Protestants. But I, as a Catholic, have been a daily communicant for 40 years. I have nourished my faith and my, um, my pro-life activism by staying close to Christ, staying close to the Blessed Mother, praying the rosary frequently for our success and, our, and, and her intercession with her son for our victories. Because it must be an exhausting campaign 24-7 practically. You don't get much time to take a break. Yeah, well, you know, when, when you know that if you, if you figured out how to save lives, uh, just like uh, Schindler uh, in Germany, who... Uh, was a kind of an unscrupulous businessman and shady dealer and womanizer and um, who was a who who perfected the art of bribery of uh, Nazis and and but he he figured out a way to save Jews 
from certain death and destruction. If you figure out a way to save children from a certain death and destruction, well, you, you, you have in your mind, you have, I have a conscience that tells me I can't rest much because if a life is lost because I take too, uh, too many breaks, then I'm going to uh, uh, have those lives on my conscience. I, I must do everything I can in my lifetime to rescue as many children as I possibly can. Now, this isn't through some Machiavellian uh, master plan and devious political uh, scheme. It, it's through achieving face-to-face -face contacts with abortion-determined women in pregnancy centers and on the sidewalks of America. And through prayer, too. Uh, but this is a, there's a movement of direct action in this country. Sidewalk advocates for life. 40 days for life campaigns. Uh, support from groups like Life Runners that help raise money for these organizations. And pregnancy centers. Many of them independent, some of them affiliated with Heartbeat International or Birthright or CareNet and, uh, out of Virginia. So you have, through your organization and your own work, saved lives? Tens of thousands. Um, um, you know, my girls were this week my office staff uh, who were uh, doing some follow-up and uh, we're approaching for this year for 2019 close to a 200 lives saved this year at through the efforts of our pregnancy centers and sidewalk counselors 200 mothers that we interacted with who were bound and determined to abort who did not so those families and mothers must become part of your extended family. And you've contacted them later on? Some of them, yes. Um, I got pictures this summer from a, a mother that I... Well, an adoptive mother sent me pictures of her adopted daughter who is now 22 years old. And she was visiting her birth mother in St. Petersburg, Russia. Now this mother, uh, this birth mother, is in her 40s now but 23 years ago I counseled she and her boyfriend who was 20 years older than her who had come from Moldova in Russia and were artists starting starving artists in the East Village of New York City and I made a deal with them I said look guys I know you want to abort this baby I know you don't have any money I know you can't find any work so Let's make a deal. <laughs> I set up a studio in, in our pregnancy center, a separate room. I bought them a kiln. They made um, little clay uh, decorative objects and whistles. Uh, they painted icons. And I sold or auctioned off for donations these items to pay them, to give them a job, to sustain themselves for about a year and a half. And they chose adoption for their baby. Uh, it was a girl. And that's the girl that just visited that mother, that birth mother, oh, in Russia. But she's been raised by an American couple uh, in New York and then in uh, Allen, Connecticut. What's your typical day and week like? Well, I'm uh, fielding phone calls from abortion-determined women or women on the fence, women looking for ultrasounds, uh, pregnancy testing, um, um, organizing people on the sidewalks in front of abortion clinics. 
Uh, I'm talking to donors about uh, funding our operations, expanding. We're looking at an opening of an office this fall in White Plains with full four-dimensional ultrasounds and hiring medical personnel to supervise the office. I'm talking to attorneys as we're being legally harassed by New York City. I was fined this week uh, $1,500 by New York City for uh, alleged violations of their oppressive pregnancy center codes of law that are just designed to harass us with ridiculous claims uh, that we sh basically they're saying they want they want us to put up signs that we're um, not a medical facility despite having a full-time nurse present they want us to put up signs that we're not a medical facility and put post this on our websites they want us to lie to the public to satisfy their uh, insane demands for unconstitutional speech restrictions so I'm spending five to ten percent of my time on legal defense, and twenty-five to thirty percent on uh, on fundraising, and fifty percent on service directly to mothers and and helping them get the services and supplies they need. Uh, we're taping this out in New Jersey, where I'm coming out regularly to obtain donations from a Walmart, where we give these objects household items and, and, and baby items to mothers because we're getting them donated by Walmart. In fact, you're going to be in New Jersey to speak at the pro-life community evening at St. Cecilia's Parish, Parkway, New Jersey. I'm going to have the pleasure of introducing you. I'm looking forward to that. i got to ask you, Chris, you know, where do these mothers and crisis pregnancies come from? Our demographic background. Many of them are from other countries. Uh, the vast majority of them are foreigners. Come to New York? Yeah. They, well, they, no, no, not necessarily come to New York. Just, they're living here. They're, they're struggling. They're hand to mouth. It's, it's, uh, they're not fully documented, in quotes. If I say they're illegal aliens, I don't mean it in a pejorative way. That means that's a federal term. Uh, for their legal status, but uh, New York City's made it a crime to derogatorily say that of someone. I don't mean that. I mean, we'd like to help people, no matter what their visa status is. We're dealing with uh, uh, the population of New York is now, New York City is, is now largely uh, what we generally in America call minorities. I mean, blacks, Hispanics, Asians, <laughs> They're the majority of the population of New York City, so that's the majority of the women that we see, the vast majority. So, but there, many of them don't speak English, and we, we serve them in Spanish. We are dealing with uh, girls as young as thirteen or fourteen, and then even women in their early fifties who got surprisingly pregnant. Are many of them economically struggling? And I ask that because that's one of the arguments the pro-choice movement will throw at you. Oh, they're struggling. They need the support. Yes, yes. Many of them are struggling financially. And we will provide them with housing if they're that desperate that they can't get family support. We get them housing in group homes, maternity homes, mostly run by Catholics and Christians. Um, and we'll get them the federal or the state benefits or the city benefits that they're entitled to. Uh, in the church doesn't have ample funds to give away to raise children directly by cash grants, but 
But there are a lot of charitable agencies that will provide uh, household items and, and baby items and, and clothes to get the mother started. Uh, often we'll do baby showers that will support the mothers. But uh, the, the vast majority of the mothers will end up landing on their feet, getting family support once their child is born. Grandparents will, will come around if the father does not. And, but sadly, um, very rarely will these mothers seriously consider and pursue an adoption. Some of the younger ones will have their children taken away from them at the hospital and placed in foster care because they will either not relinquish their child for an adoption or they are deemed to be unfit to raise an infant at home alone uh, with insufficient care. There are so many problems enshrined in, in the world of mothers raising children alone. It's almost impossible for the outside world to solve the problems of every mother. Mothers, by and large, in America are fairly resilient and fairly successful at raising children. We found that when children, even of poor households, of single mothers, and when put in an excellent school, like a lot of these success academies you have in New York City, these charter schools, 100% of the students in these schools will go to college if they're properly educated. That's impressive. If they're properly nurtured by excellent teachers with which demand parent involvement in their children's education. Demand it. They right. won't, some of these schools will not accept students whose parents will not commit to serious involvement in their children's education. Poverty does not necessarily mean a life of no opportunity or, 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 or a life of poor education. If a mother does not commit to the education of their children, in some cases in totally free public schools, if they won't pitch in to raise those kids, yes, those kids may be doomed to failure. Chris, you're a member, a proud member of the vast Irish diaspora here in America. And I know um, Ireland is very dear to your heart and you looked and got involved in the pro-life campaigns in Ireland and you were saddened by the outcome of what happened with the repeal of Ireland's pro-life Eighth Amendment. Yes, I felt that basically it's, it's a collapse of the uh, Catholic faith of the once very strongly apostolic and fervent Catholic country. Uh, this collapse of the Catholic culture in Ireland came over 40 years due to um, secularism, a, an anti-clerical uh, media that is one of the worst, if not the worst in the English-speaking world, worse than America by far. Uh, some very poor attitudes towards Catholicism from within both the laity and clergy that gave too much prominence to clerical uh, deference. There was too much clericalism. That I, by that I mean that uh, the laity would bow and kiss the ring of every cleric. They could do no wrong. And when they discovered that they had put all their trust in the clerics and the bishops, and they were fall. There were many fallen men 
amongst them who abused children and or covered up abuse of children. Then they lost their faith in their church. But their faith shouldn't have been in the men running their church. It should have been in the head of that church, Jesus Christ, who chose a man who betrayed him as one of his closest followers. To think that the church is perfect and that we should abandon it when there are imperfections that come out uh, is to uh, not see the message of Jesus Christ and that we're each called to holiness even if our priests or our bishops are not holy. You got some both positive and negative publicity personally for your pro-life activism in the Eighth Amendment campaign. The negative coverage you got, how were you impacted personally? Did it hurt you? Um, well, I was hurt a little bit by negative publicity that I tried to support the uh, boosting of pro-life memes and messages of the Irish groups themselves by some Irish pro-life leaders who were very afraid of the taint of being seen as having support from Americans who were pro-life. Chris Slattery of the EMC Frontline Pregnancy Centers in New York, being of Irish descent like your host, is often struck today by the dichotomy among many in the elite and in government circles at involvement by Irish Americans in the pro-life cause back in Ireland. Now that's all very well and good, but when it comes to matters of industrial development, tourism, the all-important peace process and creating jobs back home, Irish Americans should get involved, according to these same elite and government officials. And we agree with that. But when it comes to the pro-life cause, the attitude is, it's none of our business. Chris has put it in historical context here. And while nobody condones violence and mayhem back in Ireland, the way he puts it makes for an interesting interpretation. The Irish have come to America for a hundred years to support the IRA and to support the militant struggle for freedom for the Republic of Ireland. But when it comes to trying to support uh, the freedom for the children, then they push us away. And that's hurt because um, our ancestors are Irish. The Irish Americans, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for my Irish great-grandparents um, from many counties and many Irish names, the Breslins, the O'Shaughnessys, the Slatteries, the Hearns, my wife's family, the Tierneys. You know, my entire, my entire uh, life uh, is, uh, I have deep Irish blood, green, green blood. <laughs> Green emerald owl blood, okay? So, I don't like it when uh, the Irish... So they were getting your Irish up, I think. That's when, when I wasn't welcomed because it became politically uh, bad with the perception that uh, Americans shouldn't interfere. When the two, two outside Americans, one Irish-American, a Mr. Feeney, and then there was the George Soros, who's an American now from Europe. Both are wealthy individuals. Wealthy individuals who pumped many millions of dollars into... So we should preparing. mention that Feeney has, as I understand it, given all his money to charities. I presume they 
include the pro-choice lobby? Yes. Well, he gave money to groups that were using it to promote the referendum and uh, to distort uh, the truth about the, the purpose of the, uh, the repeal of the Eighth Amendment. But look, on, a, let, on the positive side, there are a lot of Irish Americans that are leading in the, the pro-life arena in the United States. There are some great pro-life leaders in Ireland, and they're, uh, they're feeling wounded now into their first year of legal child killing. Uh, they will come back. Ireland will rebound. The faith will be restored. The, ch the protection for the children will be a lifelong campaign for many in Ireland and for many of the children of the Irish. They will take the banner from us when we pass on. So the Irish in America, the pro-life community in America, has a role in Ireland? Well, I think we can have uh, uh, an undersized uh, role and not uh, the leadership role. Uh, we can advise, we can uh, recommend strategies, we can assist where we can legally fund uh, efforts within the law. We, we can do some things and I'd like to see future endeavors of more cooperation between the countries. So the Irish here and the pro-life community can offer guidance, history, leadership, recognizing that we live in America, this is where we make our daily bread and we're not resident in Ireland, we have to recognize those realities also. Right, I mean there are laws that uh, prohibit campaigning and, uh, and uh, funding of campaigns to uh, affect the elections in other countries. I mean, we have to respect that. We have a big controversy over Russian interference in American elections, Ukrainian interference in American elections, Chinese interference. Those are different stories. But yeah, we have to respect the laws of the country that we are uh, in and, and that we want to uh, influence. Well, I'm going to wrap up here, Chris, and I want to get your Irish leveled off here on a nice keel and send you home feeling good. Uh, how can people help your mission, assist you, contact you? What can they do for you? From wherever you are in the world, come to New York City, uh, the abortion capital of the Western world. Uh, we have a house in the Bronx where I will house you, feed you, train you, and deploy you to do life saving. Uh, we're not looking for senior citizens who are frail and can't stand outside for long periods of time. But we're looking for those that have the abilities and strength to, and empathy and, and communication skills to deal with girls and women um, in New York City that are desperate and looking for abortions. We'd love to have you. Go to Pro Life Interns, P R O L I F E, interns, plural.com. ProLifeInterns.com and you'll find an application there and a basic description of our program for internships. Our regular website for the pregnancy centers is EMC, E-M-C, FrontLine.org, E-M-C, FrontLine.org. Check us out there, phone number and email are found there if you want to call or in this, send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. If you're passing through New York City on a visit, look us up. Come and pay a visit. Pray with us. We'd love to see you. God bless you. Chris, you're up near St. Barnabas Parish. It's a very heavy Irish community there for people in Ireland who may be listening, and that's where you're resident ordinarily. That's right. So if you want to visit us and go to Mass with us, if you're visiting from Ireland, we'll take you to Mass and a nice brunch at uh, 
at the St. Barnabas, and we'd love to talk with you, hear what's going on in your world. Chris Slattery, thank you. God bless you. You've been listening to Life on Planet Earth with John Aiden Byrne. To reach the host or learn about advertising or sponsorship opportunities, call 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com. That's 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com. 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com.